We are live, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new endeavor here at Creative on Purpose. This is not Creative on Purpose Live. This is Coffee on Purpose, caffeinated conversations with inspiring difference makers. My name is Scott Perry. I am the author of Onward, uh, also chief difference maker at Creative on Purpose and a head coach in Seth Godin's Freelancers Workshop and Creatives Workshop, where I met the inimitable Dana M. Ray, who is here to jump into the very first iteration of this crazy idea I have, where we're going to just have a conversation about a word. And we're going to unpack uh, what that word, how that word applies broadly to people like you that are making a difference, making the difference that only you can make. So Dana, please uh, introduce yourself to our viewers. Who are you? What are you up to these days? Where can people go to learn more about you and the difference you're making? Yes, yes, yes. Hello, friends. I am Dana Ray. I work with unboxable leaders and organizations, so folks who don't fit in an easy category, who are looking for the language to describe and name who they are, what they do, and why it matters. And I get in there as a word person and listen to your stories and help connect the dots and put the words to the thing that is you, the you-ness of you in the work that you're doing. And because I believe that words are action, what we can say, what we can put into language, we can do something about. And I want to see more people who don't fit in easy categories, who don't fit in an industry norm, do the work that they feel called to do, which is tied to vocations, hence the perfection of this conversation with Scott today. Yeah, fantastic. So what I'm hearing you say is that you help people use words on purpose. Just had to slip that in there. All right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with that. Absolutely. So the context for this conversation is uh, Dana replied to something that I had posted on LinkedIn around um, vocation because it's a subject near and dear to my heart. And she recommended this book by Parker J. Palmer, who I've been investigating recently. I had just recently read um, The Courage to Teach, which I loved, um, but I had not uh, yet dove into any of his other work, but you recommended uh, uh, Let Your Life Speak. And this is Parker J. Palmer's book about vocation. And I have listened to the audiobook three times on my uh, infamous cemetery run. Uh, and I just decided that I, I would really love to talk to Dana about this word because she's she's the word guru. And uh, I knew that she would have a lot of thoughtful um, ideas. So how about we start, Dana, with um, defining our terms? What, what, what does yes. vocation mean? Well, uh, first to comment on Parker Palmer, a lot of my approach to my work is derived from this book, Let Your Life Speak. I read it at a pretty young age. I ha was really lucky to be surrounded by adults who were very interested and cared about the term vocation and what it meant to do work that mattered in the world. And so this book got handed to me probably in my early 20s. And then I reread it, I think sometime when I was in grad school, so about six or seven years later. And I was like, oh, a lot of what I'm doing now is actually from this book. And I had forgotten mm -hmm. how essential some of these stories were. So one of the things that the way that Palmer would describe it and the way that I would also join in describing vocation is that it's not a specific job. It's not a specific role. It's not a life stage. It's not the thing you're supposed to do. 
it's the thing that you are and the you-ness of you in the world is perfectly good enough. And there are a lot of forces in our lives that take us away from what it means to be who we are and to figure out what that is and return to it and really root down into it. So this, this whole book is about um, Palmer's journey to reacquaint himself with himself and to make choices that are in line with the work that he was here to do, the the himness, the Parker Palmerness, rather than being someone else. Yeah, I love that. It was uh, having written quite a bit about this um, in my book Endeavor. I talk about how you can find a vocation, how, the the difference that you're you're meant to make, or the difference only you can make, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the things that came up for me in revisiting this book three times in the last week is this idea that vocation is the expression of your true self, maybe even your original self through the work that you're doing. And that doesn't necessarily have to be your occupation. No. Um, you know, it could be a um, side hustle. It could be just a relationship that you're in. It could be, a re- um, you know, an organization or institution, spiritual or otherwise that you're associated with. The thing that really comes up for me when we're talking about vocation is how important work is to the human animal. There's a great book by called Work. I can't remember the author's name right now. It's about that thick. He could have said it all in uh, about 30 pages, but it's still worth going all the way through. And one of the things that is stated early on is, you know, defining work as work, work is simply um, what living things do to transfer energy. So a plant takes sunlight and nutrients from the soil to create growth within itself. Um, And human beings transfer energy in all sorts of interesting and wonderful ways. The thing that sets human beings apart from all other living things in this idea of work is that we actually use our work to build identity and forge meaning in our lives. And to me, that really speaks to the importance of finding vocation in your life. And again, it doesn't have to be associated with your occupation. It doesn't have to be associated with what, what you do, do to earn a living or to you know take care of your obligations and responsibilities. It's the work that you're doing that helps you build identity, forge meaning, and you do that by doing that work with and for people that you care about, the right people. I, Elizabeth Gilbert has a lovely set of definitions around this, the difference between a, a hobby, a job, a career, and a vocation. And that our vocation isn't necessarily connected to our career or our job or our hobby at all. Um, but we need a job to pay bills. Mm-hmm. And if we have a career, if we want one, that's great too. And then the vocation is the the thing that you cannot avoid, the thing that is there for you. And interestingly, what you said about um, work and meaning making, Esther Perel just had an interview in GQ magazine. And the final thing that she said was that as a human society, we have shifted our meaning making away from religious institutions and uh, community infrastructure to specific relationships and partnerships and our jobs. So there, there's been a transfer collectively in human culture 
particularly in Western culture, I would say, where we are constructing meaning and where we're pulling it from, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, there's also, um, that reminds me of a conversation um, Ezra Klein had with Noam Chomsky, another towering genius of words. <laughs> um, well-known linguist. <laughs> yeah, and he, uh, yeah, he, 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 he's got a couple good ideas. Um, and he talks about how, you know, the, the work and work and education and all these things in terms of power relationships and how, you know, we, uh, he makes a very compelling case for anarchy in a pure kind of non-politicized um, context. That that's another conversation worth worth um, tuning in. Another into. word we would have to define. <laughs> well, it's it's about it's about personal responsibility. Like we live in a oh. we live in a world where institutional forces maintain the status quo through coercion and compliance. And um, if you are going to break away from that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's it, you're, you're fighting biology and evolution because we are, you know, we are very interesting. We are one of the identifying qualities of being a human being is we can hold opposing ideas in our head at the same time and, and they won't explode. You know, we have this desire to fit in, to know where we stand and what's expected. We love us some status quo. At the same time, we have this aspirational nature where we, we strive and seek the edges of our ability and understanding um, and, you know, learn and, and desire to learn and grow and improve. Um, and those things are always, I, I think of it as toggling back and forth. Like you're okay just to, as, as you are. Um, and it's okay if you want to strive to be and do more and all you're doing in that pursuit, whether you succeed or fail, is dragging your sufficiency up along with you. Um, so just a, a ramble that came to I mind. I mean, that, that shoots me off in the direction of Esther Perel again of what we desire life is security and adventure. And we live in the tension between those two things that we need. Oh, I love that. I actually... Um, I don't think she uses the word adventure, but that's, that's the essence of the tension she's oh, describing. <laughs> In our living room, we have a sign that says "Adventure Awaits," and uh, okay. we bought that when we when we at the end of 2020, I closed down my guitar studio, and we are officially full blown digital nomads and ready to execute on our digital nomad passports. And so we bought that as a reminder, like, "Hey, it's nice here, but there's something out there that mm. you know you two need to go start chasing." So, the the um, well, Scott, I, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. What in your life right now, what are the stories that are happening for you that leads you to listen to let your life speak for three times in a week? Um, What's drawing you to this conversation right now? It's this, again, the subject has been near and dear to my heart. So some of the themes that led me to this place and our, our other conversation. So Jacqueline Novogratz was on the Creative Online broadcast and we were talking about reinvention and it just occurred to me like, actually, I don't think that like reinvention sounds exhausting. And mm -hmm. and if I think about my life that way, I've reinvented myself many, many times. Yeah. Um, and I don't feel exhausted. And instead when I, especially when I made this most recent 
pivot to become, you know, full time with creative on purpose. When I look back, I actually see a through line in that I've always been a guide. I've always been a teacher uh, or a coach, you know, whatever term you want to use. I've always been really invested in uh, developing myself and doing that by doing, you know, helping others do the same. Um, so this idea of becoming, mm -hmm. and then the other thing to, I can't remember the, the person that you, uh, the, the person that wrote the article for GQ. Esther Perel. Okay. So, and you said it was between something and adventure. Uh, security and adventure. Security, yeah. So security. She uh, Esther Perel is a relationship psychologist. Okay. She's yeah, looking I'm, at I'm, the dynamics between partners of. Clearly, I, need... <laughs> I need to need to check out GQ magazine, which I've never done before. So I'll I'll, I'll check out this, that article because it sounds fascinating. When I hear the word security, I hear that idea of, um, of uh, a fundamental human need, and what I've been arriving at recently. Um, is that our journey of becoming is actually tied to a similar fundamental human. I, I'm starting to believe that actually the, the most fundamental need after the ex existential needs of food, clothing, and shelter is worthiness and belonging. Mm -hmm. And actually, I would say worthiness is the precursor to belonging, excuse me. Um, so all of that, so worthiness, belonging, um, our relationship with security, because security is a false, like it's it's a trap because there is no real such thing in my mind. Um, you know, that's all tied up in this idea of, you know, what are you going to do? Well, I've got Mary Oliver right in front of, in front of me. Tell me what mm. it, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Yeah. So... Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's why all this stuff is really bubbling up for me. And it's bubbling up because I think in the moment that we're in, you know, whether or not we're exiting the COVID, the age of COVID or not, um, we have been forced to reckon with our, the falseness of, um, that every day is going to be just like the day before and that, um, that, uh, you know, if you follow the rules and keep your head down and do what is expected, that you're going to be okay. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're making a lot of changes yourself, it sounds like. That's really Always. cool. Always. Always. <laughs> well, so one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite pre-Socratic philosophers is Heraclitus, who has a, a maxim, um, no no person ever steps in the same river twice because neither is are they the same person nor is it the same river so flux is something that i've been endeavoring to accept for a long time um and as i am in the second half of life uh putting a lot of thought into like what is you know how are you going to make a bigger difference with the time that you have left How about you, Dana M. Ray? What does, what made you decide to hop into this conversation? When I think about the curiosities that have always been in me, it's 
been around what does it mean to be a person and what does it mean to be a creator and a maker from a really young age I connected with language as a creative force and a thing that I could build worlds with and I could play with it it quickly I quickly abandoned Plato in favor of, of language <laughs> in elementary school at least and in the process of exploring what that means to me and the number of the bets I've taken in my 20s I'm in my early 30s now but the bets I took in my 20s that I'll do this for a couple of years and then I'll figure out what mattered to me from it and then try to keep pursuing that thing in another context closer to the thing I actually want to be doing closer to the thing that I actually am closer to the way that I can actually contribute. So personally, that has been a curiosity of mine for a really long time. And spiritually, that's been a force as well. I grew up in, the Christian evangelical subculture and was very much immersed in it in college. And I worked for a church after college. A lot of that has shifted for me in terms of its expression in the last six, seven years. But I grew up with, I grew up around a community of people who believed that our individual lives mattered mm -hmm. and that our individual lives could change the world for the better and could take care of people for the better. And so that value and that belief was baked into me from pretty early on. It was baked into my own understanding of who I wanted to be as a grown up even, or what I wanted to do with language as a kid. Um, and sometimes that can take the expression of a colonializing force in the name of doing good. Uh, but there's also something really beautiful about that being an assumption for for you as a kid that you will do good and you can you are good um at least in in the realm of work so those those are the conversations that i've i've been in for a really long time and uh, that's why i'm doing what i'm doing now with with leaders and with organizations because i i see so many people and myself included struggle with the difference between how do I pattern match and play the game to do the work that matters to me? And then what is actually mine to offer? And the tension between those things, especially if they themselves haven't defined what it is they want to be doing, what it is that they do when they are just themselves in a room and it is easy and joyful. What is the thing that happens? Mm -hmm. It's like there's no effort, it just happens. And I think it's so beautiful about human beings because everyone has that thing that they can show up in a room and when they're not thinking about it there's a verb that they are and a result that occurs and I just want to help people see that and name that and do it <laughs> do the thing yeah that's fascinating one of the pieces I recently published was um, playing with an old idea um, but an idea that I collided with again um, in reading the Art of Is by um, Stephen um, Nekmanovich. Um, I don't know he, that one. The Art of Is. Oh, it's a it's a really great book. Um, and he his mentor was a big fan of killing all the nouns, um, which I th think is kind of extreme. 
um, but it's around the, the our attachments to identity to to you know identifying as the thing uh, you know as the noun, um, and instead oh the the I am statements yeah okay. and instead um, pursuing uh, identity through the verbs through you know through the lived uh, activities, and I you know I. I arrived at, at at the you know in typical akimbo fashion. How about a both and um, you know because I think the nouns right now and the moment that we're in are really important. I mean you know we um, are using pronouns now and and we are in the midst of reckoning once again you know with a long overdue need to um, to come to terms with uh, systemic racial misogyny and all the other things. And so we need our nouns. We, you know, people have been marginalized and need to claim and step into the power of the nouns that they are. And we are also hopefully in this journey of becoming, um, coming to terms with the fact that actually we're all just human beings. Like there's actually no such thing. Um, as race from a biological scientific point of view, there's no inherent difference between someone with dark skin and someone with light skin. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, there's challenging conversations to be had there and, uh, and we need to be able to, to speak those. One of the things that you were saying early on in, in your last comment really struck me was the, the idea of curiosity and mm -hmm. you know to me that's that's the, the 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 secret weapon like how about if we recognized the harm that all of our um false certainties and um overconfidence has landed us and instead we started to live into more beautiful questions. And I think Parker Palmer actually quotes Rilke in terms of living. I was like, you said beautiful questions. And I was like, well, then we're going to quote Rilke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a great quote, and I don't remember it exactly, but it's about living the question, living into the question. Yeah. Um, which I think is also, you know, speaks to the subject at hand uh, in terms I don't, of. Vocation. I don't remember the quote either, but I know it's from Letters to a Young Poet. <laughs> That's all yes, I remember. Exactly right. Exactly right. It is from that, from, from that essay or, or book. As we're coming okay, to well, the end, I want to talk about nouns. Hold on, I got to talk about nouns. Okay. I, it took me a while to figure out what you meant by nouns, because the first when you're like, we have to get rid of nouns, and I was like, well, just to be clear, I didn't say that. No, no, no. You were quoting that, <laughs> quoting that idea. Sorry, you were no. referencing a concept, <laughs> and I was like, well, what did what did that mean by nouns? And I realized that you were talking about names. What are the names we give ourselves? What are the names we give to our experiences of ourselves? And I think there's so many different types of nouns. And so giving a specific title to the name category of noun, I think is really helpful. And to recognize that all of language is an approximation of reality. Language itself is not the thing. And so anytime that we use a name for ourselves, we are using the closest thing that we can find today to communicate our experience of who we are and try to say that to someone else. And so I think names are really beautiful because they do help us express ourselves to other people and help other people see us. But you're right, they're, they're limited constructions 
they are not the actual essence of humanity. Well, it's to, the takeaway for me in thinking about this statement that I don't agree with um, <laughs> is it's not it's not the nouns themselves that are the problem. It's the clinging to them. Like the, I think yes. that the problem is if we box ourselves to your point, to what exactly what you do, right? Unboxable leaders. Well, a lot, a lot of people do put themselves in a noun box and, mm -hmm. um, and silo themselves, you know, like I do this and then I do this and then I am this. And it was a real, what instead of the who, yeah, it was a real epiphany for me to, um, stop shifting gears all day. Like, oh, I'm a husband. Oh, I'm a father. Oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, I'm a musician. And I got to keep like, you know, changing gears and switching hats. And I was like, well, what happens if I just show up as Scott Perry all, all day? Mm -hmm. um, like maybe mm -hmm. that would be a way to feel a greater sense of flourishing and fulfillment um, and not have any dissonance about, oh, I, you know, what's the mask I have to put on here? I, what I could just show up the way I am. So yeah. Lots. Well, that's a whole nother conversation, perhaps. I would love to, to unpack one last idea from the book. Um, and that was an, uh, another topic that really fascinates me uh, and is deeply tied to my work and living into my beautiful questions. The idea of humiliation that um, Parker Palmer discusses uh, at some point in the, the later part of that book. Um, can you point me in the direction of a section? Oh, uh, my audiobook tabs. I can't. I can't reach into my audiobook. <laughs> it's it's somewhere in the end. And what okay. this this is the, the the context as I remember it. Um, you know, we spend a lot of our time avoiding humiliation, and and that's part of the thing that holds us back because. There is no, what he says is something, I'm paraphrasing. There is no humility without humiliation. Humus, mm. the return to the earth, the return to the ground, the return to the nourishing force where we can then, you know, grow in a more healthy um, and human connected, you know, way into our potential, into, into our promise and possibility. Yes, uh, he talks at length about his experiences with depression in his midlife, and that as being this, like he, I, he does use that phrase of like being pushed down to the ground of reality and who he is via depression. Mm -hmm. uh, what I love about this idea is it's something that um, you know you and I met in the freelancers workshop, and you know we are both fans uh, of. Um, Seth Godin's ideas and work, and he talks a lot about the the importance of things that might not work and embracing the failure and and you know and not in the icky like oh I'm going to lay in the the floor at Starbucks, um, you know and that's a kind of a false humiliation. But the idea that you're putting you're you're reaching towards edges where there is no certainty and where things might not work. And there's mm -hmm. no shame in that. It's how you learn and how you iterate and how you improve. And to me, um, in some of his other work, Parker J. Palmer, and I've heard David White speak to this too, talk about the virtues of heartbreak. And I love that because you cannot you cannot engage in any kind of meaningful work or relationship 
and not have at some point your heart be broken and you get to decide, is it broken, shattered, and you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to put it back together and only to realize it will never be the same? Mm. Or are you going to allow yourself to be broken open so that you can be a, you know, an even more empathetic, uh, compassionate force for good yeah. in the world and in and, and your and he talks a lot about self and service this is the the you know the heart of the vocational life is um again i think of it as from the inside out you know i have to know who i am what i believe what are my values core principles what are my talents my innate you know the innate qualities but also the skills that i've learned and who are the people out there in the world that share my values and need my talents to enhance their lives that's you know how i can be of service, but then that will also feed, you know, I, I can take all that, reflect on all that, and uh, it becomes like a renewable resource where vocation is just the way to continue to be energized and um, build, you know, develop passion and purpose for, for what it is that you're doing, even, you know, just the simple act of living. Yeah. He, uh, he uses the phrase, the way closing behind you. Yeah. Yeah, and we didn't get a chance to talk. Uh, the, the other thing that, so I love that whole section because mm -hmm. uh, he talks about you have to shut the door behind you and face the open door in front of you. Mm -hmm. uh, and, or, and the way doesn't always reveal itself, but when you shut the way, you know, when you leave a lot of ways behind, it can be equally clarifying. I can't yeah. remember Ruth, his teacher, I can't remember her, uh, one of the Quaker teachers, but the, the, the last thing that we won't get a chance to touch on um, that was also, uh, now I just, I lost the thread, but there was another, um, th there's another element that he, uh, talked about, but, you know, I think that what you're pointing to is that idea that I always think of Robert Frost, the way out is through, like you actually, mm. there has to be some forward motion, um, in all this. Can, can I end on a quote from someone entirely different? Sure. Um, some of the, one of the things I was thinking about before we enter this conversation is that if the only people who are talking about vocation and these experiences are white guys, then we don't actually have oh. a grasp of reality. Yet. Um, I've been very influenced by Audre Lorde's work in Sister Outsider. Um, she's a black queer poet and Specifically looking at Parker Palmer's Let Your Life Speak, she has an essay called The Transformation of Silence into Language and Action. Mm. And so I wanted to end on this quote. Sure. Um, I was going to die, if not sooner than later, whether or not I had ever spoken myself. My silences had not protected me. Your silence will not protect you. Love it. Well, that's a perfect uh, perfect moment to end on. Thank you so much, Dana Ray, for your time and uh, sharing Thank some you, of Scott your wisdom with us. There you go. You can learn more about Dana and the fantastic difference that she's making at danamray.com. And of course, it's always also great to see you over at creativeonpurpose.com. We hope that you uh, got some value from this conversation. That gives you some food for thought for your week ahead. And uh, Dana Ray, I'm sure that I will see you out and about on uh, social media and elsewhere. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Scott. Bye, everyone.